Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. As we gather here today, we can see, Lord, that you make a way where there is no way. And so thank you for caring for your people, for your children, Lord. Thank you for a moment of worship where we can lift your name up high and glorify you and say that we are here for you, Lord. In gratitude and knowing, God, that you are meeting us here today. And so as we listen to your word, would your word change, continue to change our lives, continue to sanctify us, Lord, until the day that we meet you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I feel like I keep having to adjust learning uh, rooms to like speak in. So this is the first time I've been on a microphone uh, in this uh, room. Uh, we are going to look today at uh, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. So uh, Lord willing, I will, well, I am preaching today, but Lord willing, Pastor Yogi will speak to us next week uh, and uh, as we gather again. And then after that, I'm hoping to have us spend some time in our series on heaven. Uh, but today, we're just going to talk a little bit about unity. And so the title of the message is Unity, We Have to Protect It. So I had said we were going to talk on Psalm 133, then I was looking at Psalm 133, and I was like, ah, that's not really getting at what I want, really want to say to our church right now. But this passage really does it. And we live in such a time, you know, where people are really divided. People are doing everything they can to sort of separate uh, from one another, it feels like, but we have this special thing, unity, and we have to protect it. Now, I titled the message that because here's the thing I want you to take away from today, and it's our, it's our takeaway, this. God wants us to preserve the unity in our church community. He wants us to preserve it. That's the heart of God for us. There's something that he has given us to do. This is one of those things. Look at verse three of chapter four. It says, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That word keep is actually telling us that unity is something that we have to maintain visibly. That the, the people outside the local church or even other local churches should look at this church and they should say, those people are unified. Those people are together. And notice it says, keep, not attain. It says, making, effort to, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It says we have to keep it, not attain it. Because unity is something we actually already have. Unity is not something we have to work to create. Unity is God-given. That's why if you notice in the text, it says the unity of the Spirit. It's given to us by God, and God says, preserve it. And the reason why he says that is because a broken and fractured church is actually a very poor witness. 
but a unified and connected church, a group of people who are not all the same but love each other and are committed to each other is a powerful witness to the world. It says make every effort. The the ESV says be eager to maintain. The King James Version, I was hanging out with a couple guys this week who told me how much they love the King James Version, so I just looked it up. I was like, what does that, what, what word does it use? It says endeavoring. It working hard, the, the verb there actually means to do something with haste, to do something with urgency. And so Paul's like, don't sit back. God says, don't just, don't just look at maybe division going on. He says, actually do something about it. Actually step in and make sure that unity is kept. And we have to do it because the possibility of division is real. Satan tries to divide us. That's been his way from the beginning, right? You go all the way to Genesis 3, what does he do? He shows up and what does he cause? He actually caused division. He causes distrust. So now human beings no longer trust God. Can we trust God? Can we follow what God says? And then he causes division between the man and the woman. And then they're divided. Can we trust, and you follow it all. The first kids they have, there's a fight between them and murder. And that's how our culture has gone from that day. Division, division, and God's like, all right, division is what human beings do. Unity is the thing that I do. I take a whole bunch of people who have no business knowing one another. Sometimes I'm hanging out with Pastor Yogi and I'm like, what am I doing with this guy? We're so different. He uses words I can't spell. But God has brought us together because that's what he does. Satan tries to divide us. Our sin can divide us. Do you know that? We sin against each other. When we commit sin that we think, oh, you know, I'm an island. My sin only affects me. No, your sin actually affects the whole church. The culture, cultural issues can divide us. Haven't we seen that this year? Don't worry about the kids. They're mostly mine up there. Just watch me. I'll talk to them later, trust me. <laughs> Cultural issues can divide us, right? We see all this year, where, are you vaccinated? Are you unvaccinated? Where are you on this racial issue? What are you thinking about this or that? Not those things are not, they're important. We need to talk them through. We need to sort of get together and work some of those things out. And as a church, we're going to do that. But at the end of the day, we're gonna say, here's the things that we agree on. Here's the major things that we are holding to. And we are going to fight for unity in the midst of things that we may not necessarily come to the same conclusion on. But we are, con- we are committed, we're concluded on the fact that God says we are to stick together. Amen. And we work it out. When we protect our unity, we're living a life worthy of the gospel. And I want to show you where I get that from. I'm not just making it up. Look at verse 1. Therefore, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. So there's this, there's this, this idea, there's walking. The word walk is always in Scripture a metaphor for living your life. It says walk in, in this way. And then notice that he says, therefore. Right? Therefore, it's pointing back to everything that God has said through the pen of Paul in the previous three chapters. And I want to show you what God has told us. Because this is so important, because it helps us walk in this unified way. God tells us that we're chosen and adopted into his family. Those are the references up there for you. You can go look it up. You are in the family of God. Adopted in. You are once an outsider, now you are an insider. 
God tells us that we have been redeemed. Right? There's this way we are to think about ourselves. I am not the same. Tommy is not the same. He is redeemed. God is working on him, transforming him. God tells us we have a coming inheritance. Right? I, I say it all the time. I feel like that's all I've been saying up here is that life's not always going to be this way. Joy is coming. There's a coming inheritance. Give us the next one, Merlin. Give it to him. God tells us we've been brought from death to life. You're alive. What does that mean? Being brought from death to life scripturally means that you are no longer a slave to sin, that your conscience is awakened, that you can follow the Spirit and have victory in your life. God tells us that we have been reconciled to Him and each other. That's a crucial thing he has said, that we are now been brought back by the blood of Jesus Christ to our Father and to brought into a fellowship with one another. And God says, because all of those things are true, because this is your reality, he says, go, go forward protecting your unity. Therefore, because all of these things. So here's the question we want to answer. How do we preserve the unity of the Spirit in our local church? That's the question. How do we do it? If this is what God's saying to do, then how do we do it? And God tells us how to do it. First one, by being humble towards each other. By being humble towards each other. So he says, therefore I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with you have received with all humility. With all humility. Pride and arrogance destroys unity. Prideful people destroy unity. Arrogant people destroy unity within the local church. And so God says to us, walk in all humility, all the time. And humility is this thing that you actually have to put on. You have to choose to be humble all the time. That's why 1 Peter 5 says, I promise it's coming. All of you clothe yourself with humility, with what? Toward one another. So you see that there? Towards each other. Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, God is on our side. When we humble ourselves towards one another. And so what does it mean to humble yourself? It means to remain teachable. To stay in the spot, to say that I don't know everything. I don't have everything all figured out. My conclusion, my opinion doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing. That somebody could come up and say, hey, you know what, brother or sister, you're thinking about that the wrong way. Have you considered it like this? To be teachable, to admit when we're wrong. Again, we don't have everything all figured out. Sometimes I, I'm wrong on that. I apologize. To ask for forgiveness and extend it. Being humble means sometimes we have to look at each other and we have to say, can you forgive me? And then sometimes we have to look at each other and we, we say, I forgive you. Now, I want to make something really, really clear here because this is important because the Bible teaches this. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Right? We always have to forgive. It, but the Bible does not say we always have to put ourselves in a spot where we get ourselves hurt again. Let me give you an example off the top of my head. David and Saul. Right? Saul's trying to kill the guy his whole life. David's done nothing. Saul's just kind of this lunatic. It'd be a good time. One time we got to preach through 1 Samuel. Just maybe look at Saul. He's crazy. Right? Brother's playing a, like a harp for him. He's throwing spears at him. Like, what's wrong with you? I'm trying to make your day nice. Right? And then they come to a spot where 
where David, has, there's a couple of times where David could kill him and he's like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do that. And all his boys are like, this is the time. Saul's just in a cave. The text says relieving himself. So, and David could kill him, he doesn't do it. And then there's a time where, where they, they kind of come together and Saul's like, is that you, David? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And they're talking all sweet. And he's like, can you bring me, like, can you bring me that, my spear, that thing? David's like, no, no, no. I'm gonna put it right here and you come and get it. Right, Saul's like, no, we're good. David's like, I forgive you, but I don't trust you yet. And he won't, he won't bring it to him. He says, you come and get it yourself. Forgiveness and trust is not the same thing. We have to extend forgiveness. We do not always have to trust right away. But there's a flip side of that. We want to make sure that we're not always putting the person who's trying to earn our trust, like that the line is sort of like always moving. So we want to balance that. We do have to work towards trusting people, but you don't have to do that immediately because you've extended forgiveness. We need to say sorry when it's needed. Again, it's just, sometimes it's so hard to look at somebody and just be like, again, I'm sorry. And we need to go to people and resolve issues. That's what it means to be humble, right? And so I want to say this, because I know, because I talk to different, different, sorry, different ones of you at different times. I know there's some of you who have beef in our church together. And as one of your shepherds, it's my responsibility to say it that I know that some of us have differences. Here's what I want to say. The Bible calls you to go to the person and talk to them, to go and work it out. That's what the scriptures say. Matthew 18 says, go. Matthew 5 says, if you are giving your, your sort of your gift at the altar and realize that your brother or sister has something against you, leave it and go. The, being unified is more important than just you know, having sort of a worship time. God says go. And so you're like, what if I'm afraid? Well, if you're afraid, ask God to help you overcome the fear of people. Ask the Lord to help you. And he will. You're like, what if I've already gone to the person and it didn't go well? Well, this time, take somebody else with you. Take an advocate. Have the conversation. If you're like, I don't know who to take with me, talk to one of the elders. Talk to one of the pastors. We will, I'll go with you. Because we, unity is that important that we can't stand aside and not work the things out that we need to work out. We have a humble Savior. Do you know that? A humble Savior. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus modeled and practiced humility. And he gave himself, he gave his life for us so we can be together. And he says, like me, be a humble people and work things out. Do what's necessary to preserve unity. Then there's this next one. We preserve it by being gentle with each other. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness. And gentleness. Now, this is not talking about weakness. That's not what it's talking about. This is not, a gen, it's not describing somebody who is a pushover. That's not what the text is saying. It's describing a person who has self-control. It's describing a person who is measured. It's describing a person who is thoughtful. That's what it means to be gentle. 
See, the person who's gentle, here's what they know. They know that when you're rude, when you're mean, when you're disrespectful, you destroy unity. And so they, they avoid it. And to do that, they listen well. A gentle person listens well. A gentle person thinks before they text, post, or like. And I mean that when I say it. Because we live in a culture where it's just like, I feel this way, I'm just going to splatter it all over the internet. And come what may, and, they, and sometimes you're like, did you think before you put that there? Did you consider that you're a part of a family? That everybody may not share that opinion? Did you consider that before you liked, and I don't know if you, is it retweeting? Or re, I'm not on social media, you can tell. But I know it's, right? They think before they do all these things because they're like, yes, this is the way I feel, but this may really hurt somebody. And so I'm going to be wise about it. They speak carefully. See, I want you to know, a gentle person is not afraid to speak. Again, it's not weakness. Gentleness doesn't mean we just sort of hold everything back. It's not talking about that. A gentle person is not afraid to speak. They're just wise and they're compassionate when they speak. They understand that words wound, that words hurt. And so they're careful, they're wise in what they say, when they say it, and how they say it. And let me say this as well. I'm just, I'm just things are just coming to me off the top. When you speak, you don't have to say everything all the time. You're like, oh, give me an example. Sure, I will. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I have many things to say to you, but you're not ready for them right now. Jesus even models that. Speaking doesn't mean, I just, I just tell you everything that I think you need to hear. We need to be discerning. Is the person ready for that? Can they handle that right now? Should I just sort of hold back and say, you know what? This is conversation one, but we're going to have conversation two and three a little bit later. There's more to be said, but this isn't the right time. You don't have to say everything all the time. Sometimes people aren't ready. I need to be wise and discerning. The way heat makes a difference on a cold day, and it's getting cold, right? I got like 10 jackets lined up at home. I wear, sometimes I wear like three. I hate winter. Right? Right, Neil? Oh, come on, brother. You should have said hallelujah when I said I hate winter. Right? In heaven, I'm going to be on the sunny side. If you want to be where snow is, that's your business. The way heat makes a difference on a cold day, the way light makes a difference in a dark room, gentleness makes a difference in the local church. It keeps strife at a minimum. It makes a difference. It stops us from wounding each other. Right? I don't want us to do that to one another as a church. To, to walk around wounded, to walk around limping because we're lacking gentleness with one another, because we're lacking kindness in our words. And gentleness preserves unity. It makes a difference. Then there's this last one. We do it by being patient with one another. By being patient with one another. It says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. See, our church is full of all kinds of people. So I love. 
We haven't seen everybody, and I want to say, I think there's a camera there. If you're watching and you haven't come in a while, it's probably time to come back. We do miss you, right? And some of you, because we're a family, need to be responsible and call some of those people, right? And have a gentle, remember I talked about it, gentle conversation and say it's time for us to wise, obviously, safely, but fellowship together and come back to the gathering. Our church is full of all kinds of people. Some of us are shy. Some of us are outspoken. We have different habits. We have different preferences. We have different backgrounds, different opinions. See, we have Jesus in common. That is true. The Bible says that. But we are not all the same. And that's healthy. That is good. But you know what this means? Because we have, even though we have Jesus in common and we're not all the same, it means you, we are going to test each other's patience. Let me say it again because you should have said amen. We have Jesus in common. We are not all the same. And that means we are going to test each other's patience. You're not happy about that? We're going to be sanctified through the process. Be happy. We're going to test each other's patience. That's going to happen. We are going to annoy each other. I'm positive. Sometimes I get in my car and I'm driving home. I'm like, man, I think I just annoyed Shayon for like an hour. Right? And he's a nice guy. He's just smiling and nodding through it. But then he doesn't respond to my text message later. We're going to annoy each other. We're going to confuse each other. We're going to frustrate one another. We're going to disappoint each other. That's going to happen. That's life in a family of people who are being sanctified, who are being changed, who are in process. That's going to happen. And in those moments, you know what God says? He says in those moments when, Shay, when I'm annoying you, he says, he says bear with Marv in love, right? I'm going to tell you that tomorrow. That's right. See what I'm doing to him? I'm putting them on. The, I'm kidding, Shay. You're my boy. You know that. We, we are to bear with one another in love. There's the contemporary English version puts this the best way. I love it. It says we are to patiently put up with each other. Right, Neil? We were talking about that on, on Wednesday, whatever day it was. We are to patiently put up with each other. This word patience has this idea of, of being long-suffering. That we suffer long with each other. That we, we don't snap on one another. As soon as somebody does something you don't like, you don't just kind of snap on them. That we don't gossip. That we don't give each other the cold shoulder. Like, oh, Sam, I'm not feeling you this week. We don't do that. We don't, we don't leave as soon as something doesn't go our way. That's one of the saddest things that I see, you know, in the 12 years that I've been involved in local church ministry. I can't tell you how many times you run into people who are like, oh, you're not doing the thing that I like, or you're not saying the thing that I like, oh, you're not, I'm out. I'm just going to go across the street. I'm like, we love you, but see you later. Because that's the wrong kind of attitude to have in church life. And the church on the other side who has a person like, who rolls in there like, oh, I just really hated what they were doing over there. Like, oh, was that thing like a major thing? Did that church stop preaching the gospel? Oh, no, no, no. I just didn't like this, this, and this. I'm like, oh, so you left because of a small preference. Oh, that's wise. It's, that's not the way to be. 
just because it's not, not every time we're doing something that somebody really enjoys, the reality is sometimes somebody else is not enjoying it that much. That, that's just how it goes. It's hard to please a whole bunch of people. But we don't just leave because we don't like the way things are going. We, pay, we stay, we talk, we patiently work things out. Sometimes the thing that the, the local church or the people in church may be doing does need to change. And by you staying and talking and stepping into it, you can actually make the church healthier and stronger. We work patiently with one another. Patience, what it is, is an act of love. It's an act of love. It's to look at the, look at the local church community and say, I love these people too much. To not be long-suffering, to not work things out together. Patient people are being like God. Psalm 34, verse six says, the Lord is compassionate. Do you understand how kind God is to you? The Lord is compassionate. And I know sometimes it doesn't always feel like that, but he is compassionate, gracious. That should just remind you of your gospel reality, that he showed you grace, brought you out of death into life and slow to anger. There's this idea of patience, that God is actually long-suffering with us and abounding in faithful love and truth. See, we can be patient with one another when we remember just how patient God is with us. That there are times when God looks down and he's just like, Mark, what are you doing? But he doesn't just kick me out of the family. He says, I love you. Let's, let's patiently sanctify you and work that thing out of you. Patient people are being like God. Tony Evans said, unity is not sameness. Unity is not sameness. That's so important, right? We, we don't want, we want unity. We don't want uniformity. Right? There's some local churches and that's all they want. They want everybody to be the same. They want everybody to say the same things. They want everybody to like the same songs. They want everybody to dress the same way. That's not our church. Unity is not uniformity. It's not sameness. We love the difference. We love the diversity. We want that. We want people to be themselves. We want people to come in and not feel like I have to conform to something in order to fit here. That's not what we want. We, again, we want to be solid on the things that the Bible says we have to hold to, doctrinal things. But on, the other, all, on other things, we just want to show grace and love. Unity is not sameness. We Christians maintain our God-created uniqueness. I've told this to some of you. When I first got involved in church ministry, the thing that I struggled with the most was I thought to be involved in the, the church that I was in meant that I had to sort of put all of my personality and who I am aside. That, that uniqueness that the person God created me to be, that that had to be set aside, that my culture had to be set aside in order to conform to be involved. That's not what God wants. We maintain our God-created uniqueness, but share a common vision and goal. We stay unique. We hold on to that because God says, I love that about you. I made you like that. You are special. You are beautiful in my eyes. I want that. But there is a common goal that we work for, and that goal is unity together. That is the goal, preserving what God has created. Unity, you got to understand, is beautiful. 
Psalm 133 says, see, I, I got to Psalm 133. How good and precious, beautiful it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Unity is beautiful. And we want that. Unity, do you know, is something that Jesus prayed for? John 17. Jesus prayed for our unity. He says, Father, make them one as we are one. He's praying for the disciples right in front of him. And then he says, and I pray for those who will come to faith basically through their ministry. Pray that they would also be one, this unified reality. And unity reflects our triune God. It's beautiful, but it reflects God. Our triune God, they're, they're unified in the work of salvation. Do you know that? The Father sends. He says, look, they, they have turned, but he sends the Son. And then the Son comes, and the Son gives his life, accomplishes the mission, gives his life on the cross, dies in our place, risen on the, on the third day to show that sin is prayed for, reigning now in heaven, will return does his part, accomplishes the mission, then sends the Spirit who comes and applies the gospel reality to our hearts, saves you, calls you out of death into life. Then the Spirit guides you and walks you all the way to glory. I've been saying it. We are going to make it home because the Spirit is living in us, guiding us. The, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit unified in the work of salvation. And so when we are a unified church, we are following them. We're saying we're living like the God we follow, unified and committed to one another. Because of their unity, we have unity. And God wants us to preserve and protect the unity in our community. And we need to do it. Let me pray and then I think we're gonna sing another song. All right, God, we thank you for the word and uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, as a church. I've said uh, many things, Lord. I pray that the things that you want to stick, Lord God, I pray that they, uh, they would. And the things, if I've said anything that's not helpful, I pray you would uh, remove that, Lord. But we pray that you would help us, God, to be a unified, committed, loving local church. God, we thank you for our church. We thank you. Lord God, that through all the ups and downs, you have kept us. We thank you, Lord God, for the, the different people that you have brought here, the unique people that you have brought here. Help us, I pray, to step in and embrace, embrace that reality, that we're not all the same. But you, all, you want us to remain unified. You want us, Lord, to learn from one another. As we rub up against different cultures, different ways of thinking and doing. It expands our understanding of you. It expands our understanding of the word. It expands, Lord, the unique ways that you work and save and transform lives. We need each other. We don't need sameness. We need unity on the main things, on who you are, on what you have done. Unity around the gospel, unity around the mission. Unity around loving one another and bearing with one another. Unity around being a good witness, Lord, to the community. Give us these things, Lord God. Give us a heart that wants it. 
And I pray, Father, that we would understand that we are following our triune God who is unified, who is the solid rock on which we can stand. We just pray that your glory would be seen through our local church, that people would look and they would say, God is real. God is making and doing a different thing with that group of people. So would you protect us? Would you guide us? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.